The Screen Lawyer Podcast is brought to you by Cape Sokol Attorneys at Law. Hey, Gary. Hey, bud. What are you doing here? Yeah, thought I'd join you today. All right. So on this episode of the Screen Lawyer Podcast, you're going to meet Gary Pearson, my longtime friend, mentor, smart guy, music lawyer, entertainment lawyer, and um, yeah, it's going to be pretty awesome, right? I like it. All right. Stick around. Welcome to the Screen Lawyer Podcast, the intersection of the entertainment world, intellectual property law, and emerging technology, where we discuss legal and business issues surrounding any type of content that ends up on your screens. I'm your host, Pete Salsik, the Screen Lawyer. Hey there, Pete Salsik here, the Screen Lawyer. Welcome and welcome to my friend Gary Pearson. Thank Gary, you. what's your what's your name? What's your? It's you good know? to be here. I haven't come up with a cool moniker yet. I know. Help me with that. Well, I, in 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 the last episode, I spent way too long telling everybody about how Jim Hacking helped me come up with the name for the screen lawyer. So maybe we need to get Jim or somebody else to come up with a cool name for you. Because there we go. You know, you're you're every bit a screen lawyer, entertainment lawyer. In fact, a lot more than that, which we're going to get into. Um, but first of all, welcome. Thank you. Yeah. It really is good to be here. Yeah, I've been telling you about this for a while. You have. I? You have. And and what do you usually say to me? Just do it. That's right. Let's let's actually let's let's do. Quit talking. <laughs> All right. Well, we gotta keep talking here because this is Let's podcast. talk more rock, right? Right. That's, exactly. That's, that's my whole Isn't thing. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? So why are we here, right? Uh, well, Gary and I have worked together for, what, 18 years? Something? Long time. Long time. Off and on. We've been partners in the same firm. We kind of grew up in the same firm. We went our separate ways. We've teamed up many times. We've been opposite each other, which is a good story. When Gary schooled me a little bit on a deal, don't tell my <laughs> client, who's probably listening, hopefully. Um, I think they have. I think they got over it. Um, but now we're joining forces again uh, here on the podcast, but also in our practice to combine the work that we do. And I, and I think it's really exciting. I'm excited myself. I'm excited, too, both to be here today and to be working together. And yeah. So so who are you? Tell the audience. Who's Gary Pearson? So like you kind of alluded to, we both kind of grew up as intellectual property lawyers yeah. doing doing all kinds of things in, in that world. And of course, we had a lot of um, great times litigating intellectual property disputes for people who owned or um, used creative content, you know, trademark cases yeah. and copyright cases and, and things like that. And um, that was uh, most of my early career. That was, that was a big part of what I did. And you started, you started like as a pure trademark lawyer. Like you, I backed into intellectual property because I got lucky enough to get a comic book case that was way more fun than anything else I did. But you started as an intellectual property lawyer. Yeah, I did. I spent um, almost five years at a firm in in Chicago before I moved back to St. Louis, doing just a, a small boutique IP firm. That's all we all we did. Every it wasn't special to be an IP lawyer there, so you actually had to know what you were doing rather than just have a <laughs> special category. Um, so it was a good good place to to train. Got a lot of deep background in, in trademark uh, work. A lot of advertising and marketing practices. Yeah. Um, that was my first experience working with with brand managers and and people who had to sell products and uh, figure out how to tell people about them and sometimes got in fights with their lawyers about whether they were supposed to say right. things that were true or not. Right, and that's uh, true. <laughs> so, um, but that was great. And then um, in our practice here, when uh, we worked together here, we 
we got to work on some great cases that for me led me a little bit more into what actually got me interested in the law to begin with, which was music and copyright cases and stuff like that before I went to law school. Had a lot of musician friends who were nice enough to let me hang around when I had uh, <laughs> fallen far, far behind them in terms of musical skill and right. ability, but I still worked with them and you know tried to help them with their organizing their careers and stuff like that. And, and going to law school was kind of a, a way of learning something that could hopefully someday be helpful right. to creative people like that. Um, um, I, I totally agree. I mean, that's a, uh, a big motivation about, and we've talked about this, the, the, the chance that we get to do the legal work that we do. Um, it, we get to provide value at the same sort of professional level as people who are very, very good and successful being creatives. Right. And it scratches that itch. You know, I get to play guitar with my old friends and a couple times a year in a cover band, but I'm not ever going to feed my family right. with my musical talent. But by being a lawyer in that world and in the screen world, we get to sort of be part of that. Right. Yeah. What I really like about it, and I, um, I, I use this description of working with creative people, and, th and that can be brand managers, it can be people who design uh, you know, merchandise, it can be songwriters, filmmakers, actors, but there's a, there's a creative um, aspect to a lot of those different types of work that I, I have found throughout my life, personally and professionally, that those people um, need someone to translate them to the world and they need someone to translate the world to them. Um, and that's yeah. a way that I try to think about what I do is to relate to them. It's not tell them what to do. It's not tell them what they should or shouldn't do. It's translate things. It's yeah. interpret. It's it's guide and advise. You you have to you have to get to know them. You have to have a little bit of that creative side in order to really relate to them and to hear what is important to them. Right. Just like any business person, if you don't understand what it is that they actually want to accomplish and matters to them, you can't translate that to the no, world. So, so, but that's how I try to think about it in that kind of translator role, um, and that's been. It, it's applicable in a lot of different contexts. Mm -hmm. So, and it, and it's very fulfilling to be able to do that for people um, on on both sides of that. So. Yeah, that's a real. I, I, the the concept of translating is. I, I think you're absolutely right. There, a lot of times when working with creatives, especially when they're new and they're getting started, whether it's a musician or a filmmaker, and they've got the opportunity to maybe get a deal with a, somebody big, right? A big distributor, a studio, or a record label, or whomever, and they don't have any bargaining power. Right. Right. I mean, they really don't. Right. So it's, it's a negotiation, but it's not much of a negotiation. Yep. It's more of a, our I always think, you know, I may not be able to get you a better deal because that's you and that's them. Mm -hmm. But what I can make sure is that you understand the deal you've agreed to. You don't walk around in the world uh, thinking one thing, you know, oh, I signed this contract. I'm going to get a million dollars on Thursday. Right. And no, you're not. Because that's not what the contract said. Right. You know, and so I think that translation, that's a, I, that's a really good way to put it. Um, I think it comes up constantly. You know, you and, and you've done a lot more work. Mo most of my, I, I, if I had to say, you know, my screen lawyer work has been on the production, on the on, more on the video side, film, TV, that sort of world. But you've spent a lot of time in the music side of the industry. I mean, we, we both overlapped, but you have a lot more music background. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, I mean, you're absolutely right in terms of helping people understand what it is that they're, they're doing is sometimes as important as making what they're doing or what the terms are better. Right. Um, and for me, that's been a lot of 
um, a lot of my practice in the music space um, has been uh, with those early stage career um, writers or uh, artists or producers who don't have a lot of bargaining power, but by, um, by working with them and helping them to understand what they do, you can figure out what is important to them and what you can impact on it as much in not only the execution or the, you know, the, what the deal looks like when it's executed, but then how it is, you know, the sort of how it's, lived under going forward um, can be helpful. So a lot of, a lot of my work is that it's, it's, it's songwriters, it's musicians, it's artists, recording artists, um, producers, managers, um, when they're in the early stages of their, their career, sometimes it's a first deal. Sometimes it's a second or third. That's maybe a little bit, a little bit bigger. There's a little bit more at stake. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I've also been really fortunate to work with some, you know, we kind of refer to as legacy or, yeah, or more established yeah, artists. Yeah, you've got a little bit more of a catalog there to work with. They're not always today's like current pop music hot right. thing, but there's a there's a base of um, there's a base of income there. There's a there's a catalog of work that they've amassed over their years, and that's just as important and complicated to to take care of and to yeah uh, to to deal with on a sometimes day to day basis as, yeah as I mean the it, breaking stuff well because you're a lot of times in that situation aren't you dealing with the estate like the heirs not the yes. musician themselves yeah maybe not the original managers maybe right probably people that had never saw those contracts that were signed way back when right or don't understand what publishing rights they still have or, right. you know, yeah, that's the, so translation there is huge, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's a whole different language actually. Cause they just know that grandpa made a lot of money playing music. How come I can't? Yes. And it's like a little more complicated than that. Exactly. Yeah. It's a whole different dynamic and, and the, the family, um, family dynamics and, and groups of people that are related to something, but not related in all yeah. the same ways. They don't all have the same experience with it or some may have been a part of it, yeah. you know, firsthand and some may not. Um, and they've also been, and that's probably something that I've, I've learned a little bit more in the, you know, later half of my career or whatever is, is that's another group to, um, to, to have to translate things to, or have to understand Mm -hmm. that deals with different things. I mean, people who have been the, you know, sons, daughters, spouses, you know, cousins, nephews, whatever of someone who their whole life was very famous and, and someone that people tried to take advantage of or right. get things from. Um, there's just a different dynamic. There's a, that probably comes a protectiveness yeah, of course, they have absolutely. built up over time. And, and it's, it's really important to understand that too. Well, you and must really have to, I mean, to, to be, to, to come in at this later stage and be inside their trusted circle. That's that's a meaningful relationship. You can never take that lightly, and and it's very easy. I'm very, I'm very protective of it, very defensive of it. Sometimes people say, "Oh, you know, so and so. Let me like get me a deal doing blah blah blah." Yeah, and it's like, no, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't sell my, uh, you know, relationships my, my like access, that. Like right, that's just, right. you know, not or not that, for not for. A, I mean, maybe there's a number of digits that you can't think of it as, um, you know, that 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 you you have to always keep what is important in mind and that's what's best for them what's sure. best for them as a client and like it, this isn't about who i know or what my connections right. are using right. those kind of this is about what is best for them and looking out for for that interest and so but it's it's really rewarding it's really challenging um i've been able to be a part of 
what I consider to be some really historic projects. Well, that, that really you, yeah. How so. about how about telling us? I mean, I know one that that I'm thinking of that everybody should know about. Certainly, anybody that grew up with rock and roll. Yeah. Uh, so so one day I was sitting in my office and I got a phone call. Um, and, and this is pretty well known that I was involved in this. It's not hard to, to find out. But I got a phone call from someone who was in uh, was a family member of, of Chuck Berry at mm-hmm. St. Louis and, and global and I will say universal icon. Yeah, um, for sure. And, you know, they asked me if I could come to a meeting the next day to help them talk about a project that 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 Chuck had been working on for a long time and was was finally going to um, be ready to be released. And, and this was after Chuck had died, though, right? This was before he, before oh, before he, died, he died, a couple okay. years before he died. Okay. Um, and so he had been working on a record for a long time, um, off and on, and had recorded things in his own studio and uh, had, had some, some other recording done in a couple other studios mm-hmm. around town. And um, was he still doing a little bit of touring there? He had Just stopped almost to the end. Yeah, he he played um, every month at Blueberry Blue Hill Man, yeah. um, until he had stopped doing that about six or nine months before I think okay. um, when when this was happening. So this was in the summer of yeah. of, uh, of 2016. Um, or 2015 actually and uh, he had just had been playing up till right yeah. close to then you know over 200 shows there and um, and, and I'm way more than that if you count other shows around town yeah. and around oh, the world yeah. obviously but um, so I was able to be a part of helping um, helping the family decide what what label that should they should partner with on that and working through the process with them of, of getting things ready to go and getting um, any other work that had to be done on mm-hmm. it still done. There's a lot that goes into after things are, are recorded. There's there's production. There's um, there's there's art. There's all kinds of things that, right. that go into that. And um, it was just great to be involved. And I was really uh, thrilled and fortunate to be able to go with Chuck's son on a couple of different uh, trips around the world, promoting that and talking right. to people about the record and um, just telling the story of what what had happened and. Um, Chuck, um, Chuck, Chuck died three days before the first single and oh, record wow. announcement was, was to come out into the world. And that was a tough, tough time, but, yeah. um, family wanted to go ahead and do what he wanted to do, which was get this music out. And they, they did that. And, and it's, I mean, that, that's the album Chuck, right? Yes. That's mm-hmm. it. And, and then you, you then toured with the album, right? Or, or sort of, right? There yeah. So, shows their, so his son Grammys. and I. Yeah, the the Grammys did a tribute thing the That's year right. he died, um, but 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 Charles Berry Jr. Um, and I went on some uh, and and his his son Charles Berry the third, um, who actually is a great musician um, as well. Yeah. Ch- Chuck's son played with him on tours around the world, and now his grandson has a band here in town. I think he's he's probably a lot of people have have seen him play, yeah, and hopefully yeah. more will soon. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, Charlie Berry, um, and but so yeah, we got to go to uh, do some a series of interviews and uh, things promoting, just telling the story really about the it is promotion, but it's telling the story about why why Chuck wanted this music to be out in the yeah. world and how it came yeah. to be, and uh, it was very much a family project. His his son, daughter, and grandson all play or perform right. on the record, and right. um, it was just really really great time. That's cool. That's that's such cool, and and that's only one of. The sort of legacy artists. That yeah, we've done with. a lot of other projects with them since then, and more more to come, I think. And um, there's always things that are important to do for that kind of 
those are those that's an artist that me and a lot of other people wouldn't have this job if not for him and yeah, I take yeah. that pretty seriously. I take seriously the responsibility of protecting that legacy and helping it to endure for other people who will do things that will have a similar impact in a hundred years. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's how wow. I like to think that's it. Interesting. Well, and, and when you think about it, you say a hundred years and somebody says, oh, well, what are you talking about? Well, copyright law, I mean, it lasts. Life of the artist was seven. You know, I mean, it's right. crazy. Right. So um, it really does have a life. It doesn't Absolutely. go away. And so when these when when people are successful, and I did some you know talk, did some talks last year. We'll talk more about it as we come through. You know the cases that are coming up in the copyright world because the thirty five years since the original assignments have triggered a lot of these artists in Chuck's time, and many many artists at that time were performing. Um, sort of work for hires mm -hmm. um, and doing all this work and assigning the writing in the old Copyright Act didn't have a really clear definition of work for hire the way it does now. Right. So um, they were just assigning their ownership. Well, the Copyright Act says after 35 years, you can get that assignment back. Right. You got to follow the right steps and stuff. But all of a sudden, some of this work that has been really, really valuable for the labels and everybody else suddenly is back in the hands of the family. Right. Um, and uh, some really interesting stuff. There's going to be some interesting, I think, circuit court, maybe even Supreme Court cases that help define which version of the work-for-hire language governs some of this thing. Because if it was a work-for-hire, there never was assignment. It never goes back. But if it wasn't a work-for-hire, there was assignment. It comes back. And this is the kind of geeking out that right. we'll get to do sometimes right. on the Screenwriter Podcast. Um, but yeah, it, 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 that suddenly that's an incredibly valuable asset right. or, or group of assets. Right. No, it is. And I think, um, obviously, one of the reasons I love copyright law and I love this area is because it is so complicated and so interesting to think about those nuances. But um, in, in my mind, we have to kind of think about that in one part of our brain and then in another part of our brain, think like, how do we make this accessible for people who need to use it and, and, and do it all the time? Sure. And that's the challenge because, um, you know, what's important to the person going into the studio today, um, you know, I'm going to talk to one of them later, later today, like preparing for a session of, of writing and recording. And mm -hmm. what's important about that context is what do they need to know to do to establish the ground rules that will govern for a very long time if they write a hit song today. And, right. why, and why, shouldn't you, why shouldn't you do the things with the assumption that, well, I'm going to write a hit song today. Oh, that is, yes, right? yes, I mean, yes, that, yes. Of course you want to do that. Plan for amazing success. Yes. Because nobody's going to get in a fight if it's no good. Right. But when it's good, when it's successful, when there's real money, I have told this story before, I got into this part of the practice because when we were growing up and we were always litigating these issues, we were always in lawsuits right. and people were fighting. And right. almost every single time, it was because the piece of paper that was presented before there was money didn't cover everything yeah. or it was left out or whatever. And it only matters because now there's money to fight. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, you got to go in first thing and say, well, this is going to be the number one song. Right. And then, which means it's going to be in movies, it's going to be in advertising, it's going to be in tours, it's going to be in all these other things. What else do we want to do? Or what, what do we need to make sure? Um, and you're probably seeing this in, uh, we're starting to see how new revenue streams, you know, not too long ago, 
Oh, the record label made the money. You signed the rights to the record label. They paid you a royalty. There was published. You know, it kind of came a certain way. Right. But now there's all sorts of different distribution models for that's artists. That's right. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I mean, you know, the last 10 or 15 years, all that has changed so much. It, it used to be um, the industry, the music industry, both from a legal perspective and everything else, was very concentrated both in kind of certain geographic centers um, where those deals were done, yeah, um, you know, sure. the, the, with certain uh, small number of, of players in terms right. of a, a bunch of big label groups. Um, you know, I, I, it, because of the proliferation of different types of business models, different labels being willing to do things in you know, different ways, um, it's now completely changed the dynamic of that. Yeah. The, the reason that it's, um, you know, you, you don't have to have the same uh, same team from the label manager uh, attorney, you know, as as the last ten deals that got done because they're all different deals anyway, right, all different right, types right, of models, right. and um, it, you know, so you, you, it just opens up a lot of possibilities, and that means there's more more different types of artists that have different goals and different yeah. different lifestyles, different ways of working. Some tour a lot, some don't tour a lot, some want to write with other people all the time, some don't. You can find a business model that, that works for, for all those different types of people. And that just, that wasn't as much the case, in my opinion. I, obviously, I haven't been doing this for, you know, right. not forever, but I, I think that's much more accessible now. I can I can help people from a lot of different um, perspectives. And that's a, I think that's a really cool thing. And, I, and, and I, one of the things I hope we'll get to do um, on this podcast, and I am just and our offices upstairs and working together is explore and dig in and more and more in that. Um, one of the things I also want, I want to ask you this question because it's something we want to do on the Screen Lawyer podcast uh, on a regular basis. So hashtag, everybody get your hashtag what's on your screen. Uh, I love this concept. It's it, it some, somebody asked me this one time, not too long ago, and it was just a great question. So I'm like, I'm going to adopt that. You know, it's because we talk about the Screen Lawyer, we talk about, Things getting on a screen, and, and and frankly, even music, music ends up on a screen, right? We, I don't, I haven't, I. It's hard to say. I haven't bought a vinyl album in I don't know how, how long, because when I play music, I touch a screen, so it's all connected. Entertainment, anything ends up on the screen, mm -hmm. phones, everything else, and so I think it's fascinating. What what is what's what's stopping your thumb when you're scrolling? What's, you know, what are you, I'm done with my day. I need to turn off. I'm going to lay back on my couch and look at that big 70 inch or what's on it. So let me ask you, what's on your screen? It's a, it's, it's a great, great concept. And I love that as a, as a conversation with lots of people. And I'm going to be interested to hear what everybody else yeah, says over the, over the, over the different episodes. But I actually just finished rewatching for, I think the third time total, um, maybe not three times all the way through, but the entire Mad Men series, oh, wow. which is one of my all-time favorite um, series. I tend to not stick with a series for its whole life. Right. Um, I, right. I, I, you know, I'm short attention span, I guess, but <laughs> but that's one that I've watched multiple times. Um, and there's a few different reasons for that. Yeah. What what brings um, you back? I mean, it's a great show. So but. one of the, there's 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 a lot of angles for me. I mean, there's a a St. Louis native sure, as the star Hale, actor, right? and I have you know a few people that are that I that I know that know him that told me about the show before I'd ever heard of right. anybody had ever heard of it. Um, so that's always interesting. 
Um, I spent a lot of my early career uh, talking to advertising sure, agencies right, people, of course, right. and so I had this kind of natural interest in you know what in a that show world, about the advertising world, even a fictional yeah. version of it. Right. I saw a lot of things that that were familiar uh, um, to to that world, and so that that and even though that film that that show was set you know in sixties and seventies, a lot of that stuff is still true. When it's set the, the main, that's when they were defining the rules of the advertising industry okay. and the kind of the the, the, the the big agencies were coming together and buying up each other. And so there there really is a lot of the culture that's that's yeah. driven around that. The the Mad Men, you know, the Mad Mad Men is Madison Avenue. Madison Avenue right. And that's where that comes from. Um, and and that's that's the the origins of that. So it's really interesting from that perspective. It's very character driven, obviously. Um, you know, centered and around really a couple cool use of music and the music. And this is where watching the second third time. I mean, I was just telling my wife about this the other day. Like, there are some syncs that they use. So, so well, that's kind of a little bit of a right? term. Synchronization is what is a kind of a an, a, a specific use of a, a copyrighted work. Right. In this case, a song. Um, and so in the business, we call it a sync when a piece of music is yeah. used in film or TV mm -hmm. or commercials or any other video context. So there's some, some syncs in that right. song that um, I, I appreciate the complexity and the importance of them to both to the, the story and to, to that work and also to getting them there. Um, that I probably didn't what do you understand. Mean by getting in there, like how difficult it was to track down all. How the difficult? How many different writers? How many yeah, different yeah, interests yeah, might have yeah, been involved? Sure. And, and I've been in, you know, over the last ten years or so, I've been in a lot of those situations yeah. where you, you might have one writer that their publishing is with one company and the others with a different company, right. or you know, the part's been sold off and there's different interests involved, and it can be really complicated. And, yeah, because to get that to get that right to include that music in your video production, you need. Everybody who right. has an interest right. to sign off and say yes, and any one of them can say no. Right. So it, you know, that that context yeah. was it sort of struck me That's a cool. few times. Like, man, this is amazing that they got this in here. And of course, I want to. I think I can figure out how much it costs. And the, <laughs> you know, probably probably wrong most of the time, but um, you know, that's always interesting. But but really, I'm a music fan. And a and a and a film fan and a theater fan and a narrative, um, you know, work fan and right. so it's how a how a song weaves into the story yeah. and illusions that are placed by that, uh, you know, that that maybe are, because you know the episode already or, or you know the next episode or a couple yeah, along, yeah. you realize that the use of that music drives the story in a way right. that you can't actually fully comprehend the first time. And you see it coming now because you know where it's going. But it, that the 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 art and the craft of that just gives me chills sometimes wow. to put All that right. together. Well, the madman folks, it. we got to get. Back. That's actually this is thing. I I put that back on my list. I love that show. We watched it pretty much straight through season by season when it was on, but I haven't gone back. Yeah. So um, all right. Well, what's on your screen? That's something we're going to talk about on a regular basis here on the Screen Lawyer Podcast. So we're going to wind things up today. Gary, fantastic to have you here. Um, hopefully you'll be sitting right here uh, many times as we talk to our colleagues and friends and just riff on what's going on in the world. Starting to do some talk about artificial intelligence, which is blowing up in our worlds. Um, and so, yeah, we'll keep it going. Uh, but I, what I remind everybody out there, if you're enjoying this content, and I hope you are, 
hit that like button, hit the subscribe button down there, and also go to thescreenlawyer.com. You can find us anywhere, anytime at thescreenlawyer.com. New episodes, other information, um, and just how to connect with us, which we would love to do. So that's it for today. Any parting words? It's been really fun. I like doing this, and I love, love talking to you about this stuff. And uh, yeah, let's do it again. Let's do it again. All right. I'll see you here tomorrow. All right. All right. Take care, everybody. See you soon. You've been listening to the Screen Lawyer Podcast with your host, Pete Salsic, the Screen Lawyer. For more information or to stay connected, find us on social at The Screen Lawyer or check us out at thescreenlawyer.com.